Welcome to this season's final episode of Elixir Wizards, a podcast brought to you by SmartLogic, a custom web and mobile development shop based in Baltimore. My name is Sundi Mian, and I'll be your host today. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Owen Bickford and Dan Ivovich. Hey, Owen. Hey, Dan. Hello. Hey, Sundi. So this season's theme was all about Elixir in a polyglot environment, where we talked about how Elixir works with other languages. We've basically spent the last few months speaking to some really awesome folks from the community and and beyond, just not only about Elixir, but the languages that play well together for different engineers and just different teams and how that all works together. So today we just wanted to do like an all hosts finale where we get to chat about our highlights from the season. And I was hoping, Dan, can we open up on the backstory for where the season's theme came from? Uh, sure. We spend a good amount of time, you know, kind of brainstorming ideas for seasons and how we can reach new people and create content that's unique and interesting to the audience. And from my standpoint, having been at SmartLogic through transition, I joined right after transition to Rails and, you know, was helping lead parts of the team uh, when we moved to Elixir and now as the director of engineering for a team that does some JavaScript, some Elixir, some Ruby, and a mixture of DevOps and various things. I was really kind of curious who else in the community sees themselves either influenced by or adapting to a mixture of languages in the work that they're doing. And uh, I know from kind of the personal story for myself and, and some of the other SmartLogic employees when we moved to Elixir was, hey, now my Ruby looks really functional. I like it. And I was kind of curious if anyone else had stories like that, at least in the episodes that uh, I was on. I didn't see a whole lot of that. I think what this also morphed into then was how differing experiences, differing team structures, differing collaboration mechanisms, polyglot in the terms of API or actual language or message passing formats, how those all influence what we build, how we build it, and you know how we maybe try to contribute in the best possible way. It was interesting how we talked about programming languages, but we also talked about like spoken languages, written languages. So it was polyglot in a different a bunch of different contexts. Mm -hmm. Which has definitely come up in other seasons too. Really evolved. Yeah. And it reminds me like through this past season, we've also kind of seen different engineers from different perspectives. Dan, you've given a meetup talk and Owen and I have gone to a conference. So we've, over the course of the season, have had some really interesting conversations. I'm curious what conversations in this season for either of you were different than you expected them to be in any particular way? I think from my standpoint, just because I see myself and a large portion of the Smologic team having to kind of jump between Rails and Elixir and JavaScript and doing ops and maintenance. And maybe it is just a, we, because of the work we do, we're not on a product team. We are supporting multiple products. I expected to see a little bit more of that. And we, you know, we've talked to a lot of product teams where Everyone does Elixir and we only hire for Elixir. Or if you don't know Elixir, we teach you Elixir. And like, and that's awesome because if that's what you want, it's great that that is a thing. I truly find variety to be the spice of life, or at least in my programming, and uh, appreciate the variety and how those things influence. And I think what was surprising to me then was, number one, that some places had really siloed so drastically in what they'll work in, but then how a mixed environment affected them in other ways through those those things we touched on, communication, tooling, actual spoken language, those kinds of pieces, and seeing how an environment influences the strength of the code we're writing, kind of regardless of what about that environment is varied. The variety does seem to help in some way. Yeah, for sure. Owen, what about you? 
Yeah, I think the the choice of how you design your architecture, it can determine the structure of your teams, but the structure of your teams can also impact the architecture. So they kind of play off each other. So some organizations are working with a small Elixir team within a larger polyglot environment. Some organizations are like primarily Elixir with a couple of projects in Python or something else. So it's just kind of interesting to hear the, there's not like one or two ways to solve problems. There's maybe infinite or like dozens of ways at least to solve problems that are all tailored to different organizations. Yeah. And I really appreciated hearing that from multiple different people across the season, just about the right tool for the right problem is how they want to handle thing. Maybe some people are, but no one's really married to a language or a prescripted method of doing a thing. Everyone needs to be as flexible as possible. And I really appreciated that. I've definitely seen the various companies I've been at in the past where people really loved a thing or there was some really cool technology that everyone just really wanted to hop onto. They moved onto that train so fast and then it turned out not to be the right move for that technology. There's just some re something really satisfying when, when you use a technology that's right for your problem set and you can see how much smoother it goes for, for that particular solution. Yeah, and, and I think... Yes, the right technology, the right tooling. Sometimes the right technology is not about the problem, but it's about the team or the way we're organized. So I think the right tool has a lot more input than just, or are we doing a lot of like statistical analysis? Like, you know, that can very much drive a technology source, right? But when we talk to a lot of companies that are, we're building APIs, we're building web pages, we're building web apps, we're building data processing. It's like, well, a lot of languages can do that. So, so what do you pick? And then you start optimizing for other things, happiness, productivity, scalability, maintenance. You also, I don't remember which episode it was, but there was like kind of like a, a conversation around with the way we're architecting things now and, and the way multiple tools can work together in ways they've never been able to work together before. You can carve out just a piece that needs to be a specific thing. We can go back to early episodes talking about Discord and their kind of famous usage of Rust and how that has evolved over time. And I don't know, I guess if you went back and you told fresh out of college, Dan, hey, you're going to like see this mix of stuff, I wouldn't have believed it, right? Because it just seemed like communities were isolated, companies picked what they did, and there really wasn't a whole lot of room to kind of spread out from from that kind of core. And I was happy to see how much throughout this season there's a place for a lot of things, which means that you can find a place where you can work in what you're happy to work in. Yeah, and I think the happiness piece was kind of fun. Like we asked this question at most people this season, which was, what is your dream language combo? I think I asked that to Cassidy Williams during the episode where we were talking to the Cassidy from remote. And then we were also talking to Toby the, the guy with the rabbits. That's how I, yes. I think about this. And Cassidy just basically mentioned that her dream tech combo is just working with stuff she likes, stuff that she wants to work with. And I think in that regard, she's talking about her personal projects, which is, is nice. But that's sort of what that question was around, was like, if you have a dream combination language thing, what would that be? And that's nice. Because some people, I, I definitely did this when I was learning a lot, was that I felt like I had to figure out what everyone else was doing versus what I wanted to do. I don't know. Owen, do you feel kind of vibe with that? Do I want everyone else to do things the same way as me? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? 
I mean, of course, always. I don't think that was the question, <laughs> Owen. <laughs> well, what was the question again? <laughs> do things do, do things the way you want to do. Also, hear what you want to hear. Yes. Yes, Sunday, I agree completely. Everyone should do things the Owen way. <laughs> do what makes you happy for your hear... personal projects. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so I'm definitely doing that with my personal project, living in live U land. But uh, yeah, so I, I, we kind of heard similar vibes from people about dream language combinations. I think there was a pattern of, you know, Elixir and JavaScript if you're doing Phoenix stuff, especially with LiveView. But also, I think there was multiple people who mentioned Rust and Elixir, maybe even Python and Elixir. So they're kind of outsourcing particular tasks that either don't currently work well within Elixir or they just had the expertise in that language. And so that's what they reached out to. Any favorite episodes from this this past season? Favorites. Not to name favorites, but you to know 100% what? name favorites. I will say the most fun episode was recording in person with you and Digit at Impex. That, that was, was an absolutely episode. new experience for me, at least. Owen, was that different for you, new for you? I mean, I've recorded in-person podcasts. Yeah, I've never either. Dan, life, have you but... done any in-person recordings of any kind? No. You've probably done in-person interviews, but not this kind of interview. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, maybe in the early days of the podcast, I might have done one in our offices. Mm-hmm. But it's been so long, I, I couldn't place recording one in person out of history. So Elixir Wizards, before I arrived, was entirely remotely recorded. Uh, yeah, if I was in person, it was with the other hosts. It wasn't with a guest, I don't think. There has been an evolution, not only of the season, but of the of the podcast. I mean, we are in season eight after all. But yeah, I, I agree, Owen. The vibe is definitely different when you're in a room and getting to talk to somebody and you get to see how excited someone is about something. You could definitely tell while we're sitting there talking to Digit five seconds after Digit's gotten off a plane. <laughs> Just like how excited he is about his work at Smart Rent and just everything he's tackling. Digit's also working on Flutter. I don't know, Dan, if you were able to catch up on that one, that episode, but couldn't tell us too much about the Flutter projects, but that's okay. We we got a nerd out about it, which was absolutely amazing. I just really appreciated also that energy of just debugging something, anything, which is something you get from working through a polyglot environment, just like coming at any problem the way you would go doesn't matter what language you're working with in in digit's case digit was like debugging his home software what was that what it was owen just like the the smart home stuff yeah he moved into a new place it it had some smart home equipment in it and he started like tinkering with it turns out figured that was out it was elixir rent. yeah right it was a um, phoenix app right and i think I mean, the three of us also just in this in this room, this virtual room here, also have experience tinkering with home stuff before. And there's an element of debugging to it. And I appreciate that these skills, you know, move across. They transcend time and space and programming languages. <laughs> well, I think that's the thing of, you know, engineering or problem solving, right, is like, what experiences do I have? How can I get as many experiences as possible? How can I be exposed to things that I can then apply in new ways? And from my standpoint, I said, well, I prefer variety. It's a spice of life. But it's also like you learn a lot from variety. You learn a lot from seeing something that's not what you would normally expect. And I, I appreciate the 
the conversations this season that were about, hey, I have this other thing I do, and it's related but not, and it taught me some things that I applied into something else. At SmartLogic, we have a side project club, and we encourage, like, what else are you working on, right? Which is often, like, home maintenance stuff. And uh, you know, maybe, I, maybe I don't learn a lot about typing code from fixing my kitchen sink, but I certainly learn a lot about problem solving and when to walk away and pay someone else to do it. Mm-hmm. Wait, did you also pay someone to fix your sink this week? Uh, <laughs> On-air admission, I gave up and I paid someone to do it, yes. yes. Uh, right. I, it beat me. Same here. It was, yeah, plumbing It's not my skill set. <laughs> plumbing may or may not be happening right now. If you heard background noise earlier, I'm so sorry. <laughs> we were with another member on the team, Joel. I was basically debugging what was wrong with my tree, which just felt like such a, it felt like we were pair programming on any of our, any of our project problems, but we were just going through like symptoms of the tree. What could possibly be going wrong with it? And then Joel gave me resources to read to like read so, up. So we're talking I, about a, a a plant tree. A plant tree. Did a it tree have in bugs? my front yard. I was gonna say, was no, it literally it is, bugs? <laughs> it is a service berry tree that gives berries that are like little blueberries that tastes little like blueberry apple. They're delicious, but half of them were great and perfect and perfectly ripe and ready to eat. And I got them. The other 80% were spiky and scary looking and they look like they came from the upside down. And I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> it is apparently called rust, not the crab rust, not the language rust. A, uh, I don't know, like a, not a disease, but yeah, yeah, maybe a disease. So like a spore flies through the air and infects the the berry and makes it look spiky. And so Joel and I were debugging, why is my whole tree like that? Why is only bottom of the tree like that? Why are some branches like that? What can you prune? And the funny thing is like, this is exactly what Joel and I do when we're like going through tests and and trying to rerun our tests and see if we've fixed something. Except for in this case, I'm going to try to do something to fix the tree and I won't find out till next year if it worked. <laughs> No, nothing beats the instant feedback of coding. Right. I think I would take the test, like like a mixed run test anytime, anytime over this tree. <laughs> you know, you know what birds do when they get excited in, in a tree? What? They flutter. Oh, come oh. on. They... <laughs> okay. All right. What's next on the agenda? I was trying to segue. So, no. so flutter did come up multiple times. It did. And even the recent episode with Nathan Retta, he had a lot of expertise about Kotlin, but also was kind of pointing to Flutter as a good solution for building mobile native applications across different operating systems. And uh, so, yeah, I had to had to work in a Flutter joke there. But yeah, so it's been interesting because that's one that I have not tackled myself is building something with Flutter. But it's come up a few times. Uh, Sandy, what are your what's your experience been with Flutter? There was something really interesting about when I started learning Flutter is that I've been at this intersection of the Elixir community is heavily resourced in books. We have books on books. Half of my friends are authors. That's not a flex. That's just a lot of people are authors at this point. And we have so many books, but unfortunately for me, books are not the best way for me to learn. I like using them as reference points. The only Elixir book I've read cover to cover at this point is Testing Elixir. Shout out, Jeffrey. But yeah, books are not the greatest place for me to learn. I also get very bored with video, even if I speed them up. So my intersection of learning has not been in a great spot for Elixir stuff. So when I was learning Flutter, 
the Flutter book, the Flutter Apprentice book, that book really hit the intersection of everything that helps me learn. A lot of things that I can do, code I can run, explanations as to why I'm running it, to-dos in comments in place of where I didn't need to worry about that yet because that wasn't the section of the book, and building blocks upon that. And also instant gratification of code running right away where exactly what they said would run happened on my local machine. Perfect. Amazing. That was the experience of learning Flutter for me. So I don't actually even know if it's the language that I really liked or the framework. Sorry. Dart's language, I suppose. Right. That's the that's how you phrase that, Dan. Flutter is a framework. Dart's the language. Uh, sure. I think that, yeah. Flutter is also a rendering engine and a tooling system and a, yeah, but yes. Mm-hmm. It's also it what birds do in trees. Is the language. Right. Yeah. It's what birds do in trees. It's, it, it if you take away anything today, that's what, that's what we know about <laughs> exactly. Flutter. Exactly. <laughs> so I don't even know if it was that. But for me, it showed me the best way I personally can learn. And that's what resonated with me. And that's why I was so interested in it. More so than anything else, which is pretty powerful for me. And I finally found something that was helpful for me to learn in that way. I don't know if any Elixir resourcing is like that now. It's been six months, so we probably have four more books. But, you know, I, I, that's that's where my experience was coming from with that. And you're finding it kind of fun or like enjoyable or even just efficient to, to work with Flutter, connecting that to Elixir applications? Once I got into the nitty gritty, I immediately figured out what I didn't like about Flutter and the inefficiencies of it was that a lot of the example code have you nesting widgets in widgets in widgets to the point where if you've got um, in VS Code, there's like an 80 character mark. I was well past that. And I hate that. <laughs> and that was how I knew I needed to start pulling my code into smaller widgets. And I did know how to do that at the beginning. It wasn't immediately obvious, but I knew, I guess this is where our polyglot stuff comes in, into play. From Elixir, I think very functionally. I like little pieces of code that read like English for my entire time on the podcast. That's been my running shtick. Um, I like functional code that looks like English in the in the function headers. And so the fact that I couldn't do that up front with Flutter was very frustrating, but I recognized it in myself that I wanted to widgetize things. I'm using quotes because that's not a word. And I think that was, for me, what helped me see it. And that was my Elixir influence. Dan, you also had an interesting research phase with Flutter. What were your thoughts looking into it? Well, I, I came at Flutter from a place of anger with React Native, but I, ca- I came to React Native with the joy of that instant feedback, right? Of the, like, I changed some code and it refreshes in the simulator. I don't need to have Xcode recompile everything. You know, I, a lot of work since I started doing that kind of mobile development has gone into making those recompile loops faster on Android and on, on Apple, uh, because that is... Uh, you know, it's a killer of productivity and excitement and, and all of those things. But it was, uh, it was React Native that sold me on that as a possible approach to that instant feedback loop, which I think if you're if you're coming from languages with with REPLs and live reload and crazy fast either compile or interpreter times, at least to get that initial page load kind of going, um, you, you miss that a lot when you move into things that don't have it. And then so Flutter was like, hey, I have that too, and also. When you update me, I may not break in the way your React Native apps broke. And to be fair to React Native, I've heard that's gotten better, but we switched largely. Our main effort is now on Flutter. I'm curious. There are some teams that will say, all right, here's the problem we need to solve. You can use whatever tools in the universe to solve it. Some teams 
define like a stack and say, here's here's what we use on this team. What have been some of the trade-offs that you've heard over the season as we've talked about teams working in different languages, you know, between standardized stack or I guess maybe free-for-all stack? I would say for at least from what I've heard, it's it's hard it's hard to compare, right? Because I think that some places are either one or the other. And the ones that are one, they don't they don't see the trade-offs, right? They're just like, this is what we do and it works. And then the ones that do it the other way, they're like, this is what we do and it works. And they both think they're right. And I think they probably are both right. If your hiring processes are good and you're you're bringing in people for the team that that you've got using the tools they use or or multiple tools or jumping between tools, like great. We don't really hire for you can do multiple languages. We test for one, but we make it pretty clear. We do a lot of things here, and that should be interesting to you. So I think maybe a lesson from this is uh, teams and, and developers are self-selecting into the polyglot or non-polyglot environments they want to be in. I think from my standpoint, the diversity of opinion, knowledge, experience, problem solving from polyglot is valuable. Right, just like the diversity from educational background or prior work experience or anything else that people can be diverse in, brings valuable insight to the team to look at problems in ways that people who are all the same, whether that's through education or through the languages they use or the work experience they have, you can only look at problems based on what you've experienced. And so the the polyglot, the vast experience, the diversity of team, I see that having power. You have to solve other problems in other ways because you don't have a uniform stack and you don't do the same thing the same way on every project or every code base. You have to find other ways to normalize. We are working on ways to have things deploy the same way regardless of the language they're using or have similarly structured readmes regardless of what, what language they're using or have at least like backlogs and project management that is exactly the same regardless of what the implementation technology is. And so you, you pick, where are you polyglot? Like we're not polyglot in, in process, but we are in language. And the diversity of background thing too reminded me of, Dan, we had a really interesting conversation with Jessica Kerr, uh, Jestron from the internet about the, was it the gaming languages as an art or games agency as art was the, the book and just like the gamification of software engineering. Mm -hmm. You know, the gamification of teams, right? Yeah. Like what, what are the behaviors to reward and how do your rewards drive behavior? Because mm -hmm. it may not, it may not drive the behavior you want mm -hmm. depending on, you know, how it can be manipulated or, you know, how, how someone may choose to optimize based on the reward structure. That was an interesting conversation and that is something I very much need to revisit. Yeah. I mean, that was like, that was polyglot to the third extreme. It was like, this is a particular way that we think about language and a process, like gamification of anything, and applying it to something that you would never think of applying it to, which is, I think, what a lot of programming innovation comes from is like, this one language is doing this thing. I think I had solved it in another language. I'd like to apply that method to this one. This, it felt like that almost. Uh, this could be a stretch. Please call me out if it's a stretch. But oh my gosh, that was where my brain went when we were talking to Jess about it. And I was just like, I need to read this book. <laughs> I still haven't, but I need to read that book. Yeah, I think it's also been interesting, like looking at the list of guests for the season, there's a whole range of experience. So some people with decades, literally decades of experience, some with less than a year or like just over a year. So 
we get a lot of, I mean, we, get, we see some patterns even with that diversity, but people coming from different backgrounds, people who have taken a pause or moved into more of a management role and like bringing different perspectives with that different background. That's been really interesting to hear. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it was crazy when we were talking to Catalina and then she used to work in a, in the mines. Yes. Like <laughs> as a, what, what kind of engineer was that? A mine engineer? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> no, it was a chem, not a chemical engineer, but it, it, a process engineer. That was what it was. Right. And she literally worked in mines. And then when I remember reading that conversation back in the transcript and I was like, mine, is that a typo? No, 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 no. She did work in a mine. Yes, yes. In fact, she did. And then Cassie Williams, who's like this amazing, like I think of her as like a developer TikTok star because she makes these great, hilarious videos in the realm of dev. But to talk to her about just generally how how working in a remote environment at remote, the company, and just that experience of wanting to get to learn Elixir and that boot camp that um, remote has for learning Elixir. It's just kind of really wild, the different people we've gotten to talk to this season. I'm not going to lie, though, Dan, when you first pitched Polyglot, in my head, I was like, yes, we can talk about Flutter. <laughs> yep, I, I knew that was that was bringing you joy throughout the entire mm -hmm. season. <laughs> but I have since moved back into Elixir Lando, and so, you know, everything comes full circle. <laughs> hey, they're not mutually exclusive. We can do both. Yeah. It's just funny that we're now trying to recap it. And I'm like, I don't remember anything from Flutter World. <laughs> For me, I have to make a mental shift. I think that everyone kind of approaches things differently the way they kind of shift around with um, context switching. But for me, language shift is is pretty much like not moving to a new city. But, you know, when you travel, you put most of your things in a suitcase and, and you live out of it. Like, that's what I feel like I do with programming languages in my head. If I've moved from one to another, I have access to the other things. Like, I could go to CVS and, and grab, like, the toothbrush I forgot or something. Like, it feels like that. But I am basically picking up my little suitcase of knowledge and moving with it to another place and, and living out of it for a little bit until I've established. But then as soon as I move into another language, I do that again. And that's how I feel when I'm switching between languages. Maybe a weird analogy. <laughs> Dan's got thoughtful well, think, face on. <laughs> well, and I, I think that kind of re, you know reaffirms the point around structuring your teams to fit the needs, right? And so you know it's like, well, like who do we have who can jump between? Who do we have that you know a week a week on one, a week on the other, months on one, months on another? All of these things feed into how you can be productive, how you can make sure people are getting the experiences that they need, so they can grow in their careers, so that they can accomplish the things they're looking to accomplish. And you know, I, I think. I would argue that you know every time you make the jump, every time you see something new, like it, it influences down the line, right? And you know what I don't know what life is. Uh, the, the suitcase gets better or bigger. The suitcase gets <laughs> bigger. Life is the suitcase of prior experience. Uh, <laughs> Were there interesting uh, products or projects that we heard about throughout the season? Like, well, so yeah, the one that I found pretty interesting was related to work that I'm doing. Uh, so Nathan Wilson was talking about his project called Gems. It's like a global, like literally global music sequencer. So you can, you know, collaborate with people across the globe, program a sequence of notes and kind of tinker with it just for entertainment. Was there something like that that you found interesting, Sunday? Yeah. And I don't know about it from a technology standpoint, but I was really interested in it from a problem set, hearing Cassidy and Toby talk about this problem of 
every test for them is not they you know when you're writing tests that you've got a happy path a bad path and maybe a few edge cases for them because they're doing benefits integration payroll integration with a hundred and something countries and every country every city every state or whatever they all have their own rules there's no such thing as happy path bad path and edge cases every test is an edge case and that just sounded so exhausting but also like a very interesting challenge and i very much wanted to nerd out with them about that especially because i love testing that was an interesting conversation for for sure for me maybe not necessarily the technology but like the the process of that that was an interesting one dan what about you yeah, I don't, I, nothing particular. The themes of the, the the conversations are sticking out to me. No particular conversation, really. Um, in, in one regard, this whole season was like reaffirming around like, you know, optimize for the things that really matter and language matters, but doesn't always matter. It's not the be all end all. And then I think it was also maybe surprising how many companies are just like, it's this and only this and, you know, this way or nothing else. And just interesting. Yeah, I think um, Miguel Coba had released his Deploying Elixir book right around the same time as the season started. So it seems like he's had some some pretty good interest in that. Uh, so I'm saying everyone's written a book, even right. in our seasons. <laughs> I'd say we have an author per season. I'm blanket saying that, but I think that's real. <laughs> but I do think that book was helpful for a lot of people. I saw it a lot of flutter of activity. <laughs> Oh, boy. On Twitter. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. It's a Friday afternoon, and it's really hot today. So maybe <laughs> it's gone to my head. Yeah, there was a lot of a lot of people were talking about it. I think we've gotten a really we've seen a really good reception to that book. And it's it's nice and digestible. A hundred elixir tips. Great. I think the project that I was also interested in, I don't even at this point remember if we talked about this on the podcast or after MPEX, just kind of hallway tracking it. But Digit was telling me all about these different smart home implementations that he's doing through his house. And I was just like so interested. I think I really truly don't remember if we said this on air or not, but talking about like leak sensors, just like different things you can put into your house to help optimize things. But then also the dangers of smart products. One danger of smart product that comes to mind for me is always that Google Nest will always just pump out aux heat in the winter when you don't want it to. And it just costs so much money, energy bill-wise. And you can turn the settings off left and right, but it just somehow still does it. We talked about that a lot. It was a nice intersection of something that both of us were thinking about a lot of, which was like smart home optimization while also having just purchased homes and making improvements. It's a really fun intersection. So that was a project, quote unquote, that I thought was really cool to talk about. So Hey, Digit, if you're listening, shout out. I hope your plaster walls are going well for you. Oh, and we can't we can't miss an opportunity to talk about burritos and macaroons and biscuits. <laughs> also from so Digit's conversation. <laughs> you no, know, like famously, naming things is hard, but apparently if you use food, it's a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, hey, taco, hey, cake, all of the good stuff. All food related. Amazing, amazing. Kubernetes is not a food, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure. forget that segue. I remember Carol was talking about, so one little kind of fragment I remember from that conversation was distinguishing between restarts and Kubernetes. 
and OTP restarts, which depends on if you're doing a stateful or stateless application. Yeah, so that was kind of an interesting digression in that in that episode as well. Oh, and another major takeaway from the carrot episode was that Owen doesn't know the difference between Jigglypuff and Kirby. <laughs> <laughs> that one really stuck with me. Yeah. One you... has a curl. I can't I texted that to so all different. of my Pokemon <laughs> friends and they were so mad. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them uh, to tweet at Dan Ivovich on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, feel free. You're not going to get any response. <laughs> oh, my God. I think I lived through that one for like three days, just sitting there with the one has a curl response. I can't. I cannot. I do appreciate that we haven't overheard at Logic Channel where we get to rehash our episode. Just the, our fun moments. Very good time. Did you know I was just working with Faker a little bit last night? Did you know there's a Pokemon Faker generator? So Pokemon is a popular random... generator. It's it's popular because it it's a it's a static thing. There's a certain number of them. They have stats usually. It's a pretty when you're looking for a data set, Pokemon is a pretty easy one to reach to. So Faker is a database generator. Is that what you're? It's just a data generator. So gotcha. there's a, an Elixir package for Faker that will just generate a, like whatever type of random data you want. So. Mm. Yeah, I remember one of my first projects in at boot camp. Um, I did a part time boot camp with General Assembly, and we did some project, and I had used Pokemon. It's it's probably a little more sophisticated now, which kind of brings me to now that we've had all of these conversations, has it changed our minds at all about the language matchups that we do? If there was a battle royale of the languages in a bracket system in my brain that are like leading us to the two or the three or whatever, like this dream team combo. Has it changed our minds at all, Owen, Dan? Not for me, but uh, I don't know. I might be far enough into my career that I uh, am curmudgeonly about it. <laughs> uh, although to be fair, <laughs> within the last couple of years, we added Flutter and Dart. So, you know, I mean, obviously I can, I can add on. Can I let go? You know, I've thought a lot about you know, now that I, I love Elixir the way I do, do I stop using Ruby? And it's like, no, there are still things like if I got to write a quick script, like I'm going to write it faster in Ruby, even after years of Elixir, you know, tool for the job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes all that means is how quickly can my fingers get it onto the screen? Yeah. Yeah. As a web developer, I can do everything that I've imagined doing so far in Elixir and Phoenix. And I can do things in this language, especially with Phoenix, that are that would be more difficult or maybe impossible in some other languages. So, uh, so yeah, I'm super happy with Elixir and Phoenix, and I think you know that would naturally have to grow. Like I'd have to learn some more languages if I'm getting more into native code or building stuff for uh, different platforms. But for the web, I'm perfectly happy writing. 90, 95% Elixir with a little bit of JavaScript and CSS, and of course, HTML. So, Yeah, I don't think my opinion has changed if it comes to dream team combos. I, I think if anything, I have learned, I, well, I don't know that I can say my opinion changed because I don't know that I went in with any opinions to the season. But I think that what I've learned is that, yes, right tool for the right job, for the right team is very important to consider when you're looking at your tool set. And then for me, I've always known that when I'm learning any particular language, 
personally do better learning when I don't hop around. And so if I really, like, I remember when I was learning JavaScript, I was hesitant taking jobs in other languages, or even at that point, different frameworks, because I knew that I was so heads down into one thing, it would be harder for me to come back up for air and then jump into something else and learn it really deeply at the time. I feel less so like that. I feel more, I'm more of the opinion that knowledge is knowledge. But currently, I think I'd like to get really heads down into some more Elixir things that I just haven't experienced yet to understand them better. So I think being self-aware about that is helpful too. Yeah. And I think like when you're learning your first language or two, like you're learning really more concepts than language specifics. So, you know, you're learning about all the different data types and functions and that kind of thing. Um, if you're in an object-oriented land, then you're learning a, maybe some more complicated stuff. But yeah, I think once you've got those first two languages under your belt, it, it does make it a little bit easier to jump into another language or framework, even just to get a cursory knowledge, you know, pretty quickly. Uh, I think that seems to be like you get more velocity the the more experience you have. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better. I think this is normally the place where we would ask a guest for any plugs. But since we are all, are all smart logicians here, and I have never said that word out loud in the public, hmm, don't know how we feel yeah. about it. Dan doesn't Don't like it. it. <laughs> since we're all from Smart Logic here, Dan, would you like to plug Smart Logic for us on our way out? Yeah, uh, here at Smart Logic, we build custom web and mobile software. We work in Elixir, Rails, React, Flutter, and more. So if you need a piece of custom software built, hit us up. Awesome. So. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this season of Elixir Wizards. That's it for today's episode. I'm Sunday Mint, your host, and my co-hosts are Owen Bickford and Dan Ivovich. Elixir Wizards is produced by Hangar Studios and is brought to you by SmartLogic. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Your reviews help us reach new listeners. You can find us on Twitter at SmartLogic or join the Elixir Wizards Discord. The link is on the podcast page. And thank you again for joining us this season for Elixir in a Polyglot Environment. Bye. 